How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, Kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter scores! Well done, boy. There's some swagger. Push come to shove. We're going to get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Thanks Bud Podcast. I am Chanel Berlin. And I'm Diane Fan. It's episode 22, and I'm really stoked because I get to say once again that the Kings have won all of their games this week, especially because we're recording before the back-to-back, so that's great. They've only played two games, but they won both. It's so strange to think about that they're winners again. I love it. Let's, yeah. let's, keep, this, let's keep this going. I missed it. I got so used to them not winning that I almost don't really know how to feel about this six games where they've won. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, oh, is this what it's like to feel happy again in regards to hockey? And uh, I'm liking it. Uh, Let's let's keep riding this uh, to the end. So their record, King's record right now is 36-22-6. The points leader, still Andre Kopitar, he's got 52 points, 19 goals, 33 assists. Um, but, so I'm talk a little bit about the other people under that. Jeff Carter has 40 points, 22 goals, and 18 assists, which last week we mentioned the fact that, like, it's not just him only scoring goals this season. He's doing some work helping to set up goals a lot more as well. And uh, a little surprisingly to me, Mike Richards is third with 39 points. He has only nine goals, and he got his uh, ninth goal very recently, but he has 30 assists, So, which is kind of strange, because I feel like, you know, when you look at all of the underlying numbers, Mike Richards has not had a great season, but somehow he has managed to get himself involved in putting up some points. And I don't know if that's good in that good job, Mike Richards, or um, kind of a, a look at how terrible some of the depth players for the Kings have been. True in that no one else has been uh, stepping up their game necessarily to to fix his lack of scoring. So I don't know. But yeah, but we're, we're being positive right now because the Kings are winners. So he's back in a he's back in his game. He scored two goals coming back from the Olympic break. Um, so maybe this is going to be uh, new Richards or old Richards comeback. I think it's at least positive for him because it's like, well, if he is still putting up 39 points when he has been playing not very well, like getting a little bit hot at times, but not very much, then he can only really go up. And if up is, you know, that's going to be amazing. If he's already doing you know, 30 assists right now, imagine what he's going to do when he starts scoring more goals and getting in on plays even more consistently, because he's also, you know, not that plus minus means a whole lot without context, but he's also now that Matt Fratton is gone, he's got the lowest minus on the team. He's a minus three still. So I'm very excited for Mike Richards to do better. And he seems to be starting to head in the right direction. So uh, let's, let's, uh, I'm cool with staying positive on him. Yeah, especially since uh, now that we have acquired a new person, which we'll talk about later, Richards is back with his old buddy Carter. And of course, um, people have already started talking about the chemistry between them coming back. 
Jim Fox never fails to mention it. Um, every time Jim Fox talks about any sort of play by them, it's always just like, oh, Richards knows where Carter is going to be. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, Jim Fox. I appreciated, like, on Mike Richards' goal in the Jets game that he was actually super surprised that Mike Richards did not pass to yeah. Jeff Carter. He was so shocked. Jim Fox is, like, the number one fan of those two skating on a yeah. line together, I'm pretty sure. Them and their psychic connection that he seems to believe that they have. <laughs> so, But I'm not mad at it. It's pretty true. They do really well together. So if, if being back on Jeff Carter's line is what is going to help Mike Richards find his game again, I'm for it. Let's continue this. Another number just to check in with goaltending things. Jonathan Quick's save percentage is at... 916. It's been around that range for a little while now, but it's uh, pretty much, it's been a lot more consistent, both since he came back from injury and just over these last few games, with the exception of obviously the one game that Martin Jones was in coming back from the Olympics. 916 is slightly better than his career average, which is 915. So that's positive. I like it. Keep doing it. He has now, after the win against the Winnipeg Jets, beaten all 29 existing NHL teams, which is pretty cool. And he is three wins away from being the goaltender in Kings franchise history with the most wins. So winning his goaltender, Jonathan Quick, happening very soon, I hope. Which means that Jonathan Quick is great and that Kings goalies of the past were terrible. <laughs> yeah, we know their, their uh, struggles with finding consistent goaltenders. So it's good that this one continues to work out for them, even when he himself obviously has gone through his own slumps as well. But he is still the best they've had. How about that? So that's where things are now. I don't know. I guess should we talk about the Hurricanes game before we talk about the trade deadline since it happened before any changes. That game was pretty good. That game was interesting to me because of how few shots both teams seemed to have throughout it. Really great defensive work, which I guess shouldn't be surprising because the first time that the Kings played Montreal this season, they at the time were pretty much neck and neck with uh, goals against. And the Kings have been a little better since then. Montreal slipped off, but very tight game, I felt there and then the Kings managed to pull it out and get the win hang on to a one goal lead which was nice off a power play goal that was probably the most surprising part off not only a power play goal but a power play goal that was like a passing play type of power play goal which we don't see often with the Kings True. Um, and it's very nice to see um, Alec Martinez to Kopitar then cross ice to Carter and right in the back of the net and it was gorgeous and I loved it and I want more of it. That pass was so good. It was just, yeah, it was all of that was very nice. I watched that entire power play on mute. I've kind of gotten to this point with them where because their power play is so bad, I can't like listen to how bad it is being described to me as I watch it. So I've been watching their power plays on mute a lot recently. And that one was just awesome. It was just beautiful to watch. So I'm really glad that they got the goal and, and it paid off because they did everything right for once, which, wow. So they hold on to the, in that game, and they win it 2-1. It's great. Trade deadline finally arrives, and last week we tried to not totally say goodbye, but we thought a little bit about the people who could leave. And then it turns out Justin Williams, which was the thing that I was, you know, most concerned about him leaving, still around. Honestly, this trade deadline ended so well in that the person who left, I could not care less about. Uh, at this moment in time because he has been not great with the Kings and that is 
I guess we should just go ahead and go into it. Um, obviously, it's that time of year where the Kings are looking for another top six winger to do some scoring, and lots of names being thrown around, Vanek, Molson, Camilleri, dear God, no. Um, but instead, Dean Lombardi goes with, and a lot of people say that it was probably second on his list, maybe, but either way, with Marion Gabarik. And Marion Gabbert comes from the good old Columbus Blue Jackets, old home of Jeff Carter. Um, so it's Gabbert to the Kings, and in return, Matt Fratton, fine, sure, leave, um, a second in 2014 or 2015, and a conditional third-round pick. But even better is that uh, CBJ, who is usually kind of hanging out on the uh, the cap floor is retaining 50% of Gabarik's $7.5 million, which I honestly, when they said a significant amount, I wasn't really sure. I don't, haven't really been paying uh, too much attention to the rules of, you know, what salary can be retained. Did not know you could retain 50% of someone's salary. <laughs> they, like, they said significant. I'm like, oh, okay, like 20%. I like, sure, whatever. 50% blew my mind that's insane like they talked about going after vanek and molson and even like vanek like six million dollar cap hit maybe a little more i can't remember exactly but around the six million dollar range and i was like you know what kings can't afford that without giving up guys how are they going to make that happen so then when gabrick's name started being floated i was like all right but he his cap hit is 7.5 million dollars where are they going to get that money without just giving off dudes. So when this came, that they had convinced the Blue Jackets to take 50% of his salary, you know, keep that, I was pretty much like, all right, I'm on board. There is reason, of course, to be a little worried about Gabrick because he has that crazy injury history and he is a UFA, so he's a rental. He might not stay with the Kings. Lombardi, being Lombardi, is probably interested in keeping him. So a little bit of a gamble, but I think an okay gamble, actually, at this point. Um, at least better than like Vanek, who has already said that he wants to test free agency. So it worked out a lot better than I anticipated. And I'm like, all right, let's see what happens. If he stays healthy, cool, great. But even if he scores like six goals and then just breaks in half, that's better than Matt Fratton was doing at this point in the season and after having way more time with the Kings. so um, And people forget that when Jeff Carter, I think he's played like 14 some odd games in the regular season or something like that when he was acquired in, in February of uh, 2012, he didn't like light it up. He's, I think he scored like nine goals, which is good. This is, it's what the, it, but it wasn't, you know, the the shining beacon of goal scoring that I think people expected, but right, yeah. the Kings in general played better with him in the lineup. So whether he scores goals, that's great. I hope he does. Um, he is a goal scorer, and that's basically all he does. Um, if the Kings just kind of gel better uh, with him in the lineup, I'm cool with that too. I agree. I mean, Jeff Carter came to the lineup and he did fine. Like he did well when he came to the Kings and he did really well in the playoffs. He scored some big goals, but you know, let's not forget that like even in the playoffs, the two people who had the most points after that Stanley Cup run were Dustin Brown and Jacob Kopitar, like guys who've been around for years. And I think we finally really, really saw uh, what Jeff Carter could do for this team last season during the shortened season when he led the team in the entire Western Conference in goals scored and has continued to just bring up his defensive game and produce for the Kings. So 
I'm not necessarily expecting Marion Gabrick to turn it around immediately and just be a star. It would be nice. Maybe I would expect that more if he had cost the King $7.5 million and some players. But since it turned out that he hasn't really cost them that much, essentially, the way it breaks down with the picks and, you know, Matt and Fratton being gone as well, it's basically that they traded Jonathan Bernier, their backup goaltender, who they were going to trade anyway because Dean Lombardi really wanted him to have a chance to play somewhere and had made that promise to him and got a top six goal scorer to hopefully make a playoff run with this team. And I think that's okay. I think that's totally cool. So uh, I'm, I'm, happy with how their biggest move in the trade deadline turned out and I am willing to see how it goes. Welcome, Marion Gabbard. Yeah, I feel good. I feel good about it. I feel real good about it. And uh, a lot of people were concerned because Gabbard is very much an offensive and offensive only player. And we all know the good old Los Angeles Kings and Daryl Sutter being a huge defensive team. But so far, it looks all right. There is to me, a hilarious gif of uh, Gabrick and Daryl Sutter sharing a low five. Um, <laughs> I love that. Because Daryl Sutter low-fiving anyone, I don't know, is just uh, nonsense to me, so I love it. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, Daryl Sutter knows what to expect of Marion Gabrick, and, you know, it is a end-of-the-season playoff push type of thing. I think it's going to be, like, they, they know their roles. I think it's going to be okay. I've read what I've seen from him. He produces a lot in points. He's a great goal scorer. And even though he's not known for defensive play, I don't think he's detrimental defensively. It's not like he's a bad defensive player because he's so good at offense. Like, just get him in the zone. And he's got a center like Andre Kobitar who pretty much can skate, you know, 200 feet like it's nothing regardless of who he's playing against most of the time. So I think... Gabrick will be fine on a line with Kopitar, and he's also good on the power play. So, you know, the Kings power play was struggling. It seems to start becoming back. So if they slot in this guy who's really good on it and can help them keep that rolling, I'm cool. Also, I'm so confident in the Kings system bringing up people's possession numbers and whatnot that I'm just, I don't really, I'm not really worried about Marion Gabrick defensively. He can't be any more of a liability than Robin Regeer, so I think it's cool. <laughs> um, but what's hilarious to me is that I was watching a Gabrick interview, Jim Fox was interviewing him and talking about the Kings playing a defensive team and uh, how hard it is to play against them. First person he mentions, Robin Regeer. Second <laughs> yeah. person he mentions, <laughs> Willie Mitchell. And then he's like, oh yeah, Drew Doughty is on, is on this team. I'm like, where? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Oh, Robin Regeer, a tough defenseman. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right. unless he has been a traveler in the tunnel of death uh, multiple times in his past, which I am honestly not sure. I assume so. Uh, when he was on the Rangers and uh, Regeer was on the, on the Flames. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was funny to me. I got a chuckle out of it. They uh, Okay, so the Kings also made some other moves, some smaller moves. Uh, the first trade that they actually made on the trade deadline was for a defenseman. They acquired Braden McNabb from the Buffalo Sabres for, or, and two second round picks in 2014 and 2015. And they, in exchange, sent Nick Delorier, who is a defenseman who has been playing forward in the AHL this year. So, you know, a little back and forth there, a little mini Brent Burns trying to happen. And um, Hudson Fashing, who they drafted 
this past draft in 2013 and who started out his freshman year of college doing really well. I was kind of surprised and kind of sad to see him go because he's doing so well, but a lot of people pointed out he is very young and he's started to cool off. So maybe, maybe it was a smart move to trade him while he's hot and get something in return. Um, interesting thing, those second round picks that they got were actually the second round picks that they sent to Buffalo to get Robin Regeer. So essentially they got a player and uh, some picks back and then sent off a couple of prospects. Nick Deloria actually played with the Buffalo Sabres the other night. So he's playing in the NHL now. So it's worked out for him, I guess, in a way. It's still Buffalo. I mean, why not? Sure. Get some uh, NHL experience against uh, losing against some teams. Although the Buffalo Sabres haven't been uh, tire fire. Not no, like, they haven't been nearly as terrible as they were. They haven't been, dare I say it, the Canucks as of late. So, <laughs> Yeah. Aw. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about the unraveling about the, uh, of the, the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you everything I know about Braden McNabb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about it. Okay, so <laughs> literally nothing... Um, Lombardi has high hopes for him, thinking that he could slop it, slot into the uh, top four. I have no idea. Sure. If, if Lombardi says so after the trade deadline and seeing what he got, uh, got back for Gabrick, uh, or he got in Gabrick and what he only had to give away, in, in Dean we trust again. So if he thinks that Brandon McNabb's a cool deal, I'm fine with it. Jules from the Crown posted a little bit of information on him and some of his numbers, and he he's he's pretty good actually. They're positive numbers, and he got actually an assist in the Monarchs game last night, so already making an impact there. He is a defensive defenseman, but he has a good shot too. I have read so uh, some potential. I don't really know anything firsthand about him, obviously, but not a bad pull, it seems like. And he was, you know, cheap. So that's good. Interesting fact about him posted by Andy Tong. Sorry that I never know how to pronounce anybody's name. I'm the worst person. But anyway, the dude who covers the Monarchs for Mayor's Manor tweeted that Braid McNabb was taken in the third round with a pick originally owned by the LA Kings. So uh, just fun little thing there, kind of getting something back that they clearly wanted anyway. Little did they know, but now they got it. So that's cool. And then at the end of the, like after the trade deadline, uh, they acquired James Livingston from the San Jose Sharks Mm -hmm. for a seventh round pick in 2016. So kind of one of those like, okay, like who kind of cares? All of the big things were done, but he scored two goals for the Kings organization today, uh, playing with the Monarchs against the Providence Bruins. So, so great job. Promising. Promising. Yeah. I, I like it, especially since all they sent was a seventh round pick. Like, that's nothing. So if, uh, and I guess James Livingston has mostly played a little bit in the AHL, but mostly in the ECHL. But uh, he's with, obviously, the Monarchs right now and has started out strong. So good job, guy. I don't really know anything about him except for that he's very young and yet already bald. Oh, we got a we got a gets laugh. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. That's what I know. But he can score goals apparently, so that's good too. I like it. And like going back to Marion Gabrick, um, some people thought that it was a weird fit for the Kings, who are super defensive, and him not so much. Thinking that like Vanek should have been the guy, mm-hmm. but. Dean Lombardi wasn't going to pay it, and Garth Snow wasn't going to retain any salary. 
I think that's the thing that people forgot. Like when all of a sudden Thomas Vanek went to the Habs for like nothing. I mean, the Habs absorbed all of that salary. So and I think that was probably the sticking point for Dean Lombardi. The Kings are very close to the cap. And they like they even had to send Linvey back to the AHL because now they're so close you know, to the ceiling that they they got to get rid of somebody for the moment. And Dean Lombardi didn't want to send Vey down, but he had to. Vanek was expensive, and the Islanders weren't going to keep any cash. So no Vanek. If we had gotten Vanek, who who would the Kings have sent away? Who would we have cried about? Everyone else we would have been, like, super upset about leaving. Because yeah. they would have had to been so much more um, in order for the Kings to retain Vanek. And, you know, it's not like the Kings are garbage. It's not like it needs a complete dismantling, and so you need one big guy and getting rid of, of a bunch of your like smaller other pieces. So this is excellent, I think, yeah. that we kind of... I like uh, it. We bypassed on Vanek and, and t- took Gabrick. Optimism! Let's do it. It was out there for weeks that they were asking about Molson and Vanek, and clearly that it wasn't like they just decided, nah, screw those guys, we don't need them. They were looking for a deal. The deal that was on offer to the Kings wasn't working for the Kings because they didn't have very much money. So I think for the situation that the team was in, they got the best deal possible on all of the players that they acquired at the trade deadline. So I give it an A. Gold stars. Good job, Dean Lombardi. So, okay, so then Kings play the Jets. Gabrick's first game in... He did not get any points, but he got like a shot in his first shift with Kopitar. You could tell that some he got he gets to the net really fast, which is awesome. I'm very excited by that. He didn't get a goal or anything. There were a couple that were really close because you could see some timing issues, just not perfect. But I think once they have some practices and work that out, him and Kopitar could be great together on a line. So very excited by what I saw in Gabrick's first game. With the Kings. And it was his his first day with the Kings. Like, it's cool. He doesn't need to go crazy right out of the gate. But yeah, the Kings definitely... I mean, maybe that's kind of what we were talking about with Jeff Carter before. Marion Gabrick not, not necessarily scoring, like, a huge goal right off the bat. But the rest of the Kings kind of settling down and figuring out their place and playing better as a team. And they're, they brought it as a team. I saw pretty much everything that I had been hoping for throughout January with certain guys contributing more. First, it was kind of, they played really strong um, during the first period, and then in the second period, they were pretty much just killing the Jets, and then they weren't scoring any goals, though, so I was like, oh no, it's going to be one of those games where they bring it and then don't have anything to show for it. And then the Jets score on the one super messy play that uh, Drew Doughty makes not covering a guy fast enough, just sort of lazily skating over to the front of the net where there's a dude waiting to receive a pass. Evander Kane gets the pass off, Ole Jokinen puts it right in the net, and so now the Kings are down one. But, and this is so unlike this team this season, 42 seconds later, the Kings get the goal back. And not only the Kings, the captain, Dustin Brown. Yeah. Who knew? I was not expecting it. I was watching the second period at work, with one of my coworkers, and as soon as the Kings got scored on, I was like, well, that's expected. Like, I told her two minutes actually before that goal against happened, I was like, you know what? The Jets are going to score first. I'm going to hate it. And then they did. But I wasn't at all expecting the Kings to come back that fast because it doesn't usually seem to work out that way for them. It usually is the reverse. 
where they score and then allow one pretty quickly. So to have it flipped was real nice. And to have Dustin Brown be the one to do it. Uh, Jared Stoll had a great game. So he had the puck, rushed towards the net, kept an eye out, saw Dustin Brown coming up on the other side. Nice little cross-ice pass, perfectly placed. Brown doesn't receive it perfectly, but he gets it enough to get a shot off, and the puck trickles through uh, Pavlik's pads and into the goal. Just enough. Keaton Ellerby, not quick enough to sweep it away. He didn't have enough speed to do a Drew Doughty like Drew Doughty does for Jonathan Quick sometimes, and the Kings were tied. It was great. Which is why we got rid of Ellerby, but um, the one thing that was more unexpected than that Dustin Brown goal was that Mike Richards slap shot. Let (laughs) us talk about this. So This was legitimately insane, because Jim Fox and Bob Miller are talking about how, all right, um, Richards and, uh, and Carter are going up the ice. Uh, Richards has Carter with him. I remember mm-hmm. Jim Fox saying this. and But he shoots. He, like, kind of picks the puck up a little and just... Like, I didn't, I didn't know he could do that. <laughs> I did. That was some of my favorite goals that Mike Richards scored, with the Kings at all. But in particular, last season were... Uh, I think some of them were on the power play. A couple might have happened at even strength. But there were, like, passes from Drew Doughty to Mike Richards, who set up a slap shot, and into the net. I think a lot of people have forgotten about that because he hasn't done it, like, at all <laughs> this season. I was going to say, <laughs> what I, for- I forgot that this Mike Richards could do this. Like, 2013-2014 Mike Richards could do something like this. Yeah. So yeah. that was very, very pleasing to me. It was nice. I was like, oh, yeah. And I mean... We have seen him earlier in the season do what he did to start that chance, which is pick off passes in the neutral zone. He's so good at that. But he hasn't converted on most of those opportunities this season. So to see him do that, put himself in a position to take a shot, and then have it be that amazing slap shot that he has and have it go in, it was just a wonderful, perfect, super unexpected moment. And I loved it so much. He's so good with an active uh, stick in the neutral zone. Like, he gets so many um, pucks that way. And, yeah, before it was like, oh, it's uh, Mike Richards breakaway. Let me just sit down and stay sitting down. Um, (laughs) Let me get comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, let me just get even more comfortable um, because nothing (laughs) is going to happen. So, once again, another opposite day thing for the Kings, and I'm liking it. I'm liking this a lot. It was and, really good. And then just the uh, the cherry on top of the Sunday was another power play goal. Because the Kings are doing that now. Power play goals out the wazoo. And it was a forward-looking Alec Martinez. Yeah, so true. He It was it was nice. I've watched that goal a bunch since that game happened. And it's nice every time with the little spin move to protect the puck. And then he just walks in. He, he says in the post game that he did with John Rosen, he said that he tried to use the defenseman as a screen, but I don't even think the defenseman was really in position yet, but he took the shot. It goes in, pings off of the post into the net. Super clean shot. Pavlik could have seen it. He didn't really. He's not that great of a goaltender, but it was also just a beautiful shot from Martinez, and I loved it. I still love it. It's great. We may say that Pavlik isn't that great of a goaltender, but do you know who got the first star of the game? in this oh my God. three to one win for the Kings. It's not a king, I'll tell you that. It is uh goaltender Andres Pavlik. Excuse me? What? I like sure you made a bunch of saves. I mean but you also lost and also like the goals that you let in weren't all like 
they were most of them were like clean shots like he should have had the Dustin Brown shot there was really nobody there he should have had that Mike Richards shot the defenseman was kind of skating through but he wasn't really a super problem he should have had that Alec Martinez shot there was no one really there you suck (laughs) I guess it was a first star for not letting in more goals than three (laughs) like it's so funny seeing like him as a first star of the game and then like goals allowed three I'm like excuse me but I mean the shots uh from the Kings were 41 to the Winnipeg's 18. So, I mean, I guess, sure, you tried. I guess, um, yeah. That you didn't let in, like, seven goals. I guess that's an improvement. I don't know. And he, he did make some big saves because the Kings did have plenty more really dangerous chances than the ones that they scored on. Uh, particularly, like, I, I mean, I can't say it enough. The power play looked amazing all game. I think there were maybe a couple shifts on, like, the second one where it got cleared really easily. But then, like, for the re- remainder of even that power play, it was awesome. I don't think I've seen them execute a power play really well that many times in one game since, like, October. It's, yeah, it's... It's a strange new world we're in right now. <laughs> but but I'm enjoying it, so keep it up, Kings. Actually, I think it really was since October because uh, the Sharks game where they won 4-3 off the power play goal in overtime, that was at the end of October. And that was probably the last time the power play looked really amazing and consistent. So uh, it's been a while, but welcome back. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, another moment from that Jazz game that I really liked came early on where... The Kings, like I said, they looked pretty strong throughout the game, but early on they had a few moments where the Jets got some really solid scoring chances, and one of them was saved by Jarrett Stoll, who got his stick in the way right at the right time and cleared a puck away from pretty wide open net. And the other one actually happened a little bit before that, where a skater was coming down and Drew Doughty drops and blocks a shot with his body at exactly the right time, pretty much like just before it gets to the goal. And it was awesome. And I was thinking that I haven't really seen a lot, or I can't remember or think of moments like that happening a lot for the Kings, where they block shots constantly in ways that are just perfect. Jared Stoll did it in an earlier game. I think in maybe the Edmonton game, he had a great block shot. And so I was like, I wonder why that is. Like, am I just not remembering correctly? But then I remembered that I had seen at some point that the Kings don't block as many shots as other teams. And so I want to go check that out. Still true. They are second to last in the NHL in shots blocked with 706. All these numbers I'm about to talk about are based on numbers from this morning. So some games have happened today. I'm not talking about any of those. The Kings blocked 22% of their shots against and the league average shots blocked are 25%. But but then like based on that, so it seems like the Kings just don't block shots very much and they let shots through. But then I remembered, wait, that doesn't make sense because the Kings also are have such great possession numbers. And part of that is they don't allow a lot of shots. So how is that happening if they don't block very many of them? But then I remember the Kings clearly just must like deflect shots a lot. So they don't necessarily have to drop their bodies down like that because they don't give up many opportunities like that. A, because they always have the puck themselves and are shooting. And B, because they manage to just deflect shots wide or something like that, which I thought was really interesting to see a team who is ranked so high defensively, and but also apparently not block very many shots at all. It was just a very bizarre sort of disconnect for me, but kind of interesting to think about when I looked at those numbers. John Tortorella literally has no idea what you're talking about. 
you can't be a good defensive team without blocking about a million yeah, and a half shots. They block all the shots. But interestingly for, I think it's Montreal who leads in shots blocked, which would explain like why there was that period where them and the Kings were sort of neck and neck defensively. And then, of course, but if that falls off for a team like Montreal and they allow more shots, apparently, you know, they allow a little more goals because their goals against number has gone up some. So just a fun little correlation for, for that that I was thinking about today and thought I would share with you guys. I thought it was interesting. But uh, I guess, so okay, with with the last six games that they've won, and of course the six games includes the one before the Olympics, which was actually not a good game for the Kings, if we all remember correctly. <laughs> um, but with all these games that they've won, do you feel any differently about how they might do in the playoffs? Um. Not really yet, I guess. I don't know. I think it's just because maybe that they're currently on the streak that it's a weird suspended intent. Like, once they lose again and I kind of see how they come back from that, I feel like I might have a better idea of what this version of the Kings are going to be. I, for honestly, my perceptions haven't really changed. I really haven't thought too much about it um, anyway, about how they. I kind of take it day to day. I mean, sometimes when the Kings were losing, I was chanting to myself, they're built as a playoff team. You know, they don't do great in the regular season, but they can grind it out in the playoffs. Um, But I don't really think like that. So I guess my perceptions haven't really changed just because I didn't really think about it too much. I don't think it's guaranteed that they'll do any better than we thought before. And just to remind everybody, like a few podcasts ago, we both agreed that we thought they were a first round exit team. And... I don't know if that has changed definitely, but I do think if they continue to play as well as they have and hustle this way, uh, because I think they've also gotten better with each game that they've played since the Olympics. Like that first game against the Avalanche, they let in those three power play goals. That was a hot mess. In the game against the Flames, they had terrible, terrible possession. And so they seem to be cleaning it up a little bit more as they go along. And if that keeps happening and guys like Dustin Brown and Mike Richards, who are having a really hard time early, earlier in the season, continue to do well, it could at least be a lot more hopeful than I anticipated. I don't know. I guess maybe because I feel like the the six wins is just kind of suspended in some real time, like weird time. Like it's not a real thing that's happening and it's not reality. Um, (laughs) And I'm just waiting for it to come crashing down and seeing what happens. Then I'm like, I don't know what's going to go on. I think a thing also to keep in mind or that I have to remind myself of is that if the playoffs were today and this unless they all of a sudden slump again and fall to a wild card spot they're probably going to play against the San Jose Sharks or you know either way they'll be the road team and their record this year is a little better than it was last season where they were having trouble on the road so that's a little bit of a different factor. And of course, in 2011, 2012, they were a great road team. So if they can keep things positive, things it could be okay. But that is an interesting sort of element to the challenge as well. And so, yeah, we'll see. I feel, I, I yeah, I just feel less dire about everything at the moment. <laughs> and hopefully they could keep it up. Well, now that we're winning, yes, it uh, things are looking a little bit rosier. Hit and down. I'm not sure he's okay. Uh, there's no question that this one's a penalty. A large five-minute major penalty power play for the Kings. All right. So the first thing I want to bring up, Tyler Sagan. I don't know when we said it, but forever ago, probably when he scored his second hat trick, we were like, he needs to get a third so he can have a hat trick of hat tricks. And somebody needs to, they just need to throw cowboy hats on the ice. Well, 
it happened, which is amazing. He had his third hat trick of the season, and somebody threw their cowboy hat on the ice, which those things are not cheap. <laughs> and uh, one of the refs put it on. They had a little fun with it. And then I think they eventually gave the guy his hat back because it was like, all right, these other hats we'll just toss out. But yeah, it was it was <laughs> super it was super notable that there was a hat out. Like you said, the linesman picked it up and kind of like put it on. We're having a having a, a grand old time. But I guess uh, one of the penalty box officials kind of kept track of it because uh, there's actually a vine of the guy throwing it on the ice. And so oh, nice. I guess hit him and his friend once uh, Sagan scored his first two goals was like hey, if he scores a third, you're throwing that damn cowboy hat out. And he's like, you know what? Yeah. And they said that they would, so he did. And so there's, like, this whole vine of him walking down to, like, the very front of the glass, throwing it out. And I guess, you know, someone kind of kept track of it and uh, and got that back to him, which is good because I didn't know, like, I, I knew that cowboy hats were expensive. I didn't know how expensive they could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, am no, I am no cowboy hat connoisseur. Um, so I didn't know that they were one of those weird things that are super pricey. He is having a good season in Dallas, that Tyler Sagan. He's it's having a, a great season. His line is having a great season. Him and Ben and Nachushkin are lighting it up. Um, yeah. They're looking scary, and I like it. They uh, are another team who had a little bit of a rough patch a slump of their own where they weren't winning very much or scoring very much. But when that isn't happening throughout the rest of the season, like that line has been pretty lethal for that team. So anybody they face in the first round should be um, kind of worried. And now they have Tim Thomas. Oh, yeah, that's true. All right, because now we can talk about the Canucks and the d- disaster that they are. So finally, Roberto Luongo, free of that place, he has gone back to Florida was, I think, an, an unexpected trade. Like, I don't think anybody believed at any point that Luongo was finally going to be traded, but it happened. And um, the management there, because they want Luongo to be the likely starter, asked Tim Thomas what he wanted to do. And Tim Thomas was like, I'm going to leave. So he is now in Dallas. Although he wasn't that. too pleased about having to leave, but off he went. And so Tyler Sagan and Tim Thomas will be... Uh, reunited, reunited, and back together. <laughs> I guess. Um, although, I don't think I don't think those two people missed each other. So I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, but maybe the state of Texas will love uh, Tim Thomas. Maybe he will be revered there. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? But Luongo has definitely. <laughs> Luongo is so much happier, visibly, in, like, his media press conference, like, everything that he's been saying to the media, his Twitter game has been on point, um, once again, and, uh, it's been pretty hilarious, uh, he sort of live-tweeted the, where, uh, Tyler Sagan got his third hat-trick, they were playing the Canucks, Mm -hmm. and lit the Canucks up 6-1, to um, and that score is, I mean, it's already lopsided, but I don't know if that adequately explains how terrible the Canucks look. <laughs> right, yeah. They, I think they seem to just be, I mean, it's hard to even say what's happening there because I don't really understand what their new structure is as a team. They're, they were always physical, but now they seem to be physical and not very much about playing hockey, which is a strange way to go about anything, I guess, if you're going to be a hockey team. So, uh, so they got some penalties that were a problem. I think the penalty, they had a five-minute major that they took that really sort of 
sealed everything because then Dallas took advantage of it and scored because they're not like the Kings. Like that time the Kings gave up a seven minute power play. Are you surprised that that person is Cassian? (laughs) Not at all. I'm (laughs) not. Not even a little bit. I feel like starting when they started to lose a lot and kind of like the players are asking for trades and looking dejected, a lot of people kind of pointed out that um, the team and the fans are kind of apathetic about them. Like, it's one thing to be, like, angry at your team because you still feel something, you, like, want them to be better or you want something to happen, but they're given a, a big old Canadian eh to, uh, to the Canucks right now because it's just, I don't know, mis- I don't know if it's mismanaged. I honestly haven't beyond like kind of the big names like that Kessler didn't get traded even though he obviously wanted out the whole deal with Luongo like Sadine's being in you know just like all of it uh it's just kind of falling apart at the seams here because uh people have said for a while that the the Canucks need a rebuild but it doesn't look like they're actively taking steps towards a rebuild like they got rid of Luongo finally but nothing else like other teams you'll see like the buffalo sabers are like yeah we got rid of miller hey guess what we're doing a rebuild and that's what you have to do and ever and you know good for them yeah like everyone knows that that was kind of about the time that they needed to do it and you know they're taking steps and they're you know actively saying you know we're in a rebuild we're doing this and with the connects it's just kind of i don't know falling apart i kind of can't even decide if I think they should start the rebuild now or try to fix whatever mess this is. Because it doesn't actually seem to me like this is unsalvageable. Like, because I don't think they're really trying to play hockey right now. Like, it would be different if they were trying really hard and it's just not working and they were bad like the Sabres. But they've had good games this season. They've had, you know, decent stretches. I think they just need to figure out what it is they're going to try to do and what kind of team they're trying to be because it seems like they decided to change it up a little bit more this season and I don't know if that's Tortorella's influence or what but it's clearly not working and they need to try again. Uh, You mentioned Ryan Kessler not traded even though he talked everybody at the Olympics ear off about wanting to be traded. Not going to happen. Could I guess happen during the summer but that's not the point. The point is he sent out a tweet um, quoting Roberto Luongo that just said, told you so, which I thought was hilarious. Because it's great. A little shade there towards your organization. Well Uh, done, Ryan Kessler. um, Speaking of kind of shame towards your organization, uh, we were talking about the Vanek trade earlier and how Garth Snow got uh, essentially pennies for it, and it is pissing off a lot of uh, the the Islanders faithful. Um, I mean, I think everyone's seen that they're trying to stage like a walkout um type of deal where at like 10 minutes of the second period everyone just gets up and walks out what uh which (laughs) is funny because uh nhl franchises are essentially a business so you've already bought a ticket yeah um but i mean but i i I guess what i i get what it's trying to show because it's a lot more visual that way instead of just like declining numbers and then suddenly the team leaving you know but yeah garth snow was just asking too much (laughs) For Vanek, waited until the the dying minutes of of the trade deadline to just he was forced to get whatever he could get, yeah, um, which wasn't much, which out. which wasn't much at all. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are calling for Garth Snow's head on a platter, um, and of course his 
his dismissal, his firing, which after this, I mean, it's not like the Islanders are going to do anything in the postseason, so I can't imagine that he gets another chance at this. Yeah, he's like, got to be feeling nervous. This was your one this was your one shot. You know, you did the whole you did the Molson trade, the Vanek trade, um and like this was supposed to be where you kind of flipped Vanek for something great. And what did you get? Nothing. Pretty much nothing. <laughs> A big fat nothing. That was yeah, that was really bad. Which makes the Canadians look like real winners coming out of the trade deadline for getting Vanek for nothing at all. I mean, he's still a rental, and like I said, he's he said that he wants to test free agency, so they will likely not keep him. But it's not like they had to give up much for him. So good job, Canadians. We really could have we could have pooled our resources, and you and I could have rented him for the rest <laughs> of the season with for what right. the Canadians gave up. I've got some lip gloss and some lifesavers. He's yours. I have some uh, chocolate-covered peanut butter pretzels. I feel like this is a good deal. <laughs> yeah. And we would get it, and then we could start a team with Vanek. Good job, us. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad for them. Another um, expected trade, but it actually went through, was, of course, the Martin St. Louis went to the Rangers. And people in Tampa Bay, upset. I've seen a number of jerseys on the internet where they've, like, put tape over his name on their jerseys and, like, written, like they wrote a traitor or they've written in Callahan's name or something. People are mad. And I don't blame them. Dead to me was the best yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> dead to me. People are so upset. I don't blame them. I think, even though I think Eisenman made the right move because you can't keep a player who doesn't want to be there, I think St. Louis was a big baby. Oh, I think it was so shitty. It was so shitty what he did, and and it's kind of the the big thing is like, of course, Tampa fans are upset, but a lot of people who are kind of impartial observers, it's mm-hmm. like, it's fucking awful. But Marty St. Louis is also such a good guy <laughs> that it's it's kind of hard to really like rag on him. But that was that was garbage. He shouldn't have done that. I have no emotional connection to him, so I have no problem with calling him a baby. He's oh a super yeah, baby. no, no. But I mean, <laughs> other people who kind of care more about him because it's these kids. Yeah. We don't, we don't really care. But yeah, that was a, an asshole thing to do. After and like, get ugh, get out of here with that letter. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the worst part. I don't want this shit. <laughs> I would just, just like <laughs> find like print out that letter, like, see him the next time, and just, like, look at him, know that he sees that you're holding his letter, and then just burn it. <laughs> just in his face. Just with a in lighter. his face, lighter, burn it. <laughs> Throw that up an effigy, whatever. Because, yeah, that's just turning your back on everything. And and now it's like, before, when he, re- you know, when he eventually retires, it was like, oh, his... You know, his number is going to get retired. His his name is going to be raced to the rafters. Is that that's still going to happen? I, mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that's sort of the question is, has he ruined his legacy in Tampa Bay? And maybe people are really mad right now. So I guess it just sort of depends on what happens as time rolls on. But it's not looking good right at this moment. Which uh, that is also funny in, in terms of like ruining your legacy because um like I said, I don't pay that close of attention to um, a lot of the East Coast teams unless I, like, really like them, uh, which at this point is, like, the Penguins or, you know, I have we have friends that are really into the Bruins, so we, you know, kind of keep up there. Let me tell you how much I don't pay attention to what's going on with the Devils. 
<laughs> but um, and listening to uh, you know Greg Wyshynski, who's obviously like a huge Devils fan, talk about the fact that Marty Saint or not Marty Saint Louis, uh, another Marty, Martin Brodeur ha- was trying to leave the uh, the New Jersey Devils, and uh, essentially he was trying to, to force Lou Lamarillo to trade him, and. What went down is, I think, is awesome. Is Lou Lamarillo essentially saying, at least according to Greg, Greg, Greg Wyshynski, is that no, I am not going to trade you. I am not going to be the one who you know sends you out of New Jersey. You are the one who's going to leave, mm-hmm. and so that's on you to leave this yeah. team that you've been with for all of this for your career, and it's going to be your choice. And yeah, I feel like that's a I strange like move. A really weird move on Brodeur's part. Why won't he just retire? That's my real question. <laughs> just stick out the season and retire. I don't understand what he's trying to accomplish here. I mean, I guess if you love a game or whatever, you want to play it and whatnot, and clearly the Devils are not interested in playing him as much as he has in the past, which I can't blame them. He hasn't played very well. I guess from that perspective, I can see why he would maybe want to try on another team. But I don't just retire, dude. Just retire. It's not like he hasn't won a Stanley Cup before. You know, it's not like all of these old guys who are kind of bouncing around a little bit trying to look for that Stanley Cup. He's got him. Like, just mm-hmm. just go home. Be done. You got to know when to let go. It's time to let go. I don't know. Some Some strange requests by veterans this trade deadline. So... Uh, any other big moves that we... Oh, I was really amused by the fact that the Ducks traded away Dustin Penner. So, so Dustin Penner, former Duck, former King, is now on the Washington Capitals. And presumably, they traded him away and tried to clear up some cap space to acquire a winger themselves. And then they never did. They did get uh, Robodoff from Dallas for defense. And that's that was a good pickup. I'm actually quite upset that they made a good trade there. But the forward thing I thought was pretty funny because now they didn't get anything for that. They're still the same Ducks. So that's super unfortunate that, uh, that Penner's now banished to the east coast rough because he i mean i think the whole reason that he signed with the ducks again was because he wanted to find a way to stay in southern california now he doesn't get to so he can do whatever he wants come summertime and it'll i i am curious to see where penner goes as someone who was part of the kings when they won the cup i just like to keep tabs on those people and he's clearly he's clearly lost in uh in washington because he somehow made it to a supermarket to go grocery shopping and then, like, couldn't make it back home. And so... That whole thing was so weird. And, like, <laughs> tweeted out. I'm like, have you never heard... He is constantly talking about how he's taking, like, lifts, you know, uh, or whatever. And suddenly he's like, I can't make it home. I have groceries. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, like, some random fan came and, like, picked him up and brought him back to his house and, like, helped him carry groceries into his new place. Yeah. All right, Dustin oh, Penner. Oh, Dustin Penner, what a You life. know that the East Coast works basically the same like the West Coast, right? <laughs> yeah, that was really funny and a strange thing to happen. But uh, good job to that fan. Um, enjoy those free tickets that I hope he gives you that he promised for that his first home game with uh, with Washington Capitals, who haven't really looked any better since the trade deadline. And I don't know what's happening with them. Um, the Ducks also, since the trade deadline, have lost both of the games they've played in overtime, including a game that I went to last night versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, where the Penguins played like 
absolute steaming dog crap for most of regulation, <laughs> with the exception of the power play that they scored on, pretty much. Um, they, at one point, were being outshot like 20-something to 8. And the franchise like lowest shots on goal in a game, according to the friend I was with, and I haven't looked this up because I don't care that much, but according to her, their lowest was 11 shots on goal. And so it kind of looked like they might not even hit that and it was going to be awful, which would have been a disaster because obviously the night before against the Sharks, everybody noted that Sidney Crosby was a minus five and that hadn't happened in like decades. I don't think it's ever happened in his career, has it? No, not in his career. Yeah, to and be a to be a minus five and to see the Penguins play like just terribly. They are having some struggles, but then the Ducks still lost to them because they allowed, even though they had a bunch of shots on goal or whatever. Flurry was great, and they the Ducks were I guess kind of kingsy, and that they had all of the possession and whatnot and couldn't convert. And then they lost in the shootout because suddenly Pittsburgh showed up to play a great overtime and had more scoring chances then. Um, and then the shootout was intense, and they won. So, ha ha ha, the Ducks <laughs> is really how I feel about that. <laughs> the du- I feel like, I mean, I guess it's just because they're notable to me. Ducks games, to me, always seem to have long shootouts. Because, like, you and I went to a, a Ducks-Kings game uh, yeah. that ended up in a multiple-round shootout, I believe. Right? At least over the three? Uh, yeah, I think it was a little over three. It wasn't... I think so. Um, yeah, definitely a shoot, interesting shootout game there. And of course, there's the the Martin, Martin Jones. Jones. Yeah, the nine the nine rounder, and then this one that you were at. Um, lots of shootout happenings at the Honda Center, and it hasn't really worked out for them the overtime thing these last two games, and that's funny. I'm annoyed that they got that point though, but yeah, I guess it's yeah. better than the two. I've pretty much let go of thinking about you know them letting go of that top spot in. In the division, I don't know about the league. Some other teams could make a, a run for it still. Yeah, I think right now, I don't know if it's still true. I have to look at the bracket again. But I think at some point, like it's like looking fairly likely that they could be the team that faces Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. And I hope so. <laughs> I think that would be good. A good series because they've got two really strong top lines. And I think the uh, Ducks top line is like their only really great line on that team. Like that's the line that carries that team. Um, so it'll be see which it'll be cool to see which line comes out on top. Essentially. Well, let's see if uh, if Dallas you know makes it to the playoffs, and hopefully that happens. I think the Western Conference is going to be really really interesting. I think at the beginning of the season, people probably would have said, yeah, the Blackhawks are going back to the final again. Um, and that is not necessarily true anymore. Like, they're obviously a very good team, but they apparently have, like, a disastrous divisional record. And right now, they're not winning their division, so they would have to face either the Avalanche, who have won three or four games against them. And it's all kind of a toss-up right now for the Western Conference. I support that. I support yeah. someone uh, after this. I don't know why this just reminded me of the uh, the Olympics when Canada almost lost to Latvia. And someone was like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, don't you want Canada to win so that the USA can knock out uh, Canada? And it's like so much sweeter at this. No, I do not. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need all this dramatics. Literally anybody knock out the Blackhawks. <laughs> someone else do it. I wash my hands of them. So... <laughs> I am very okay with if uh, Chicago meets up against uh, a Central Division team for them to wipe the floor with them. 
yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the end of this regular season and the playoffs because I think it'll be, I think it'll be pretty fun. At least the Western Conference, the Eastern Conference is different. There are like two obviously good teams in the Bruins and the Penguins, and everybody else is like, all right, we'll see what they can do. But uh, actually, the Rangers are okay too. They've they had some struggles, but they've they've gotten it together. Montreal's pretty good. I mean, they're kind of like meh right now, but yeah, um, they're pro- they're still solid. They're second at the in the Atlantic and seventy seven points, so they're all right. Could be an interesting playoffs this year, and I'm excited to get to it. I want to see Toronto in the playoffs mm-hmm. and I want them to redeem themselves in in the um for a while because they were a wild card team it was another Bruins uh Maple Leafs series in the first round but they jumped up to third in their division and then it was the Canadians against the Maple Leafs and that would be an awesome series they had a game against each other a week ago I think and I watched it I watched most of it the end of it was crazy the crowd was crazy because those two teams have obviously a really huge historical rivalry. I think that would be an awesome series, so I hope that happens, honestly. Yeah, I'm ready for the playoffs to start now. Yeah, but we got some time, so um, I guess we'll wrap it up for now and uh, check in with how everybody's doing next week. As always, if you do not follow us on Twitter, you should. We are at ThanksBud, or individually, I am at Chanel Berlin. And I'm at aka Diane Fan. And we are on iTunes, Stitcher, the website. Find us any way you can. We appreciate you listening and want to talk to more people all the time. Come back next week because we'll be here. And until then, take care of yourselves. Friends, goodbye. Bye.